We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Chargers Analytics with Arjun coming off a uh, nail-biting win against the Cincinnati Bengals blowing a 24-0 lead which we're going to talk about eventually uh, but a nail-biting win um, you know one that we pulled out pretty much in the fourth quarter and a very important one as well now putting us right in the heart of the AFC playoff race securing the all-important tiebreaker over the the Bengals who are young you know kind of dangerous when they're on their game uh, and clicking on all cylinders which they kind of weren't on Sunday um, but yeah great win I'm sorry for the lighting if if you're watching on YouTube uh, it is getting very dark here in Michigan very early uh, so you know the lighting in my room isn't great but we'll move on from that so I think the first thing I want to talk about and I think we have to talk about is this is this Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow debate? Okay, so it must have been like two hours, two and a half hours after the game ended. Dan Orlovsky tweeted, tape, tape, tape. Justin Joe Burrow outplayed Justin Herbert by far today. And I, I was like, what? Like, okay, I don't think there was a single statistic. Like, it could be advanced statistic, like EPA, uh, CPOE, like completion percentage over expected, actual completion percentage, uh, completions, passing yards, passing touchdowns, interceptions. There was not one statistic where Joe Burrow was better than Justin Herbert. Like, I, like, and you know, I, I, I'm a proponent of using EPA and like these advanced metrics because they do paint a better picture. But like, even if you use basics, like the basic stats, I don't think Joe Burrow had a better day statistically than Herbert. Now, I've said it before, stats don't tell the whole story, right? Obviously, one of Burrow's picks was a, a really, really bad drop by Jamar Chase, who absolutely toasted Michael Davis. If you have a chance, just, just go watch Jamar Chase toast Michael Davis. He, 
he hit him with a little like a little uh, stutter step to the outside. Davis bit, tried to jam him. Chase was gone. And if he caught that, that's a tutty. And that's 16-7 right there. But he did it, right? So this is where we're left at. Justin Herbert statistically outplayed Joe Burrow. Now, there was a guy, I think it was like PFF Andrew Russell on Twitter, tweeted out this morning. I'm recording this on Monday. He tweeted out, you know, Joe Burrow has a higher passing grade than Justin Herbert. He has a higher passing grade from a clean pocket than Justin Herbert. Is four big time throws and his receivers dropped four. He, his receivers dropped four passes, right? Okay. Now I had some people tag me and message me like, hey, what what was like why did Justin Herbert's grade look so low? Like it was like in the high 60s, right? Well, I'll put it this way. I'm not a grader. Like I don't do the grading af- immediately after the game. That's not my job at PFF. My job is to you know, write articles for them, provide content, create graphs, use their database to help, you know, elsewhere. So I'm not sure what goes into grading quarterbacks. If you ask me, I think it, I think the grading system has been designed to uh, help conservative quarterbacks because the top of the list is like Tom Brady and Kirk Cousins. And that's not, I mean, like Brady's good. Like, I think we can all agree, like he's, as if hate him or love hate him or love him he's a top 10 quarterback at least right but I mean Kirk Cousins like I don't know if he's the second best quarterback in the league now are is PFF grades the end-all be-all no right like they're one aspect of things so for that guy to tweet out Burroughs grades were higher than Herbert I don't like I don't think that's like I don't know you all if you watch the game You'd understand that Justin, you would see that Justin Herbert had a better game. There were some throws that Herbert made that Burrow probably will never be able to make in his NFL career. I hate to say it, but that's just where we are. Burrow is two years young, older. Burrow is two years older than Herbert, and Herbert's still more developed as a, as an, like, in terms of his arm strength, even building out his body, right? So I don't get how Dan, Olo- Dan Orlovsky or, you know, PFF Andrew Russell or whoever else says Burrow had a better day on Sunday. And look, I, I know what the grades say. The grades uh, traditionally have uh, tended to be more predictive of EPA per play than EPA per play themselves. So what that means is if you take like Tom Brady's uh, quarterback passing grade in 2021 and you try to predict his EPA per play in 2022, his quarterback grades will actually do a better job of predicting EPA per play in 2022 than EPA itself. It's weird, I know, but that's why, you know, I haven't completely just, you know, gone full-blown like, okay, I don't trust the grades at all because they have this predictive sense to them. But, you know, I think it's important to put in context. You have to add some advanced statistics in there. The other thing I'm going to talk about before I move on to some of the recap and previews, the, the big time throws, right? So it, I've had some conversations with people in the company and, you know, seeing, you know, what they define as a big time throw. They've made it public what they say a big time throw is. And this is the way I'll, I'll put it in terms of the game, right? Herbert had one big time throw according to their charters. And it was the Mike Williams 44-yard catch on the first drive of the game where Herbert threw an absolute dime over the cornerback's head. So that was a big-time throw. The Jalen Guyton catch uh, on Jesse Bates was not a big-time throw because it 
technically was like a 50-50 jump ball. Now, would I have given that a big time throw? Hell yeah, because I don't know if any other quarterback aside from maybe Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, maybe Matt Stafford on a good day that can throw a ball 62 yards in the air from the opposite hash, right? And that's that's the most impressive thing. Like he threw it across his body from the opposite hash to the to the you know to the end zone and it was a tot like it was a dime like I don't know what else to what else to say that should have been a big time throw the Mike Williams uh, jump ball on Mike Hilton on the right right sideline I believe in the second quarter that doesn't seem like a big time throw to me I think that's more of just a jump ball Mike Williams uh, did create most of the catch like he was responsible for the catch more than Justin Herbert was in my opinion but yeah, the Jalen Guyton one, I feel like that should have been a big time throw. I'm not going to go through Jalen, uh, Joe Burrow's big time throws, but just know that, you know, I, I am kind of on your guys' side that I do feel like Herbert's grade should be a little bit higher. And just because he's not being super conservative, like he's, he's going through his progression. He's trying to find the intermediate routes. And when you watch Tom Brady or Kirk Cousins, it always seems like, okay, if the defense is playing back, we're just going to check it down to the running back. And that's fine. Like, honestly, like that play when Brady runs play action and Fournette just runs like a three yard hitch right up the middle. Like they always gain six, seven yards on that. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's kind of my take on that. Uh, and so let's, let's talk about, let's talk a little bit more about Justin Herbert and how he's, how he's done this season. So, I mean, I think he had a pretty good game. I think we can all say um, on Sunday against the Bengals. So I, I wanted to really quickly just do a check-in on where he's ranked in terms of EPA. So this is a really cool um, app I found. It's by Tucker Boynton. You can see up here, you can find him on Tucker, at Tucker Boynton on Twitter and go through his pin tweet. And he has a bunch of apps like this, which are, which are awesome. So in terms of like all EPA, right? Like Herbert, he ranks, he definitely ranks in the top 10. Again, EPA is not the end-all, be-all because Teddy Bridgewater ranks ahead of Herbert. And so does Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo, when we all know that Justin Herbert is better than all of them, right? But I thought this was interesting. So Herbert, in terms of like where his EPA comes from, he actually ranks outside the top 10 in his EPA coming from straight passes and where he actually makes up a lot of value that or a lot of hidden value that people might not think about it's his running ability, right? Like we, we all wanted Joe Lombardi to get Herbert more involved in the rush game. You know, a lot of, a lot more zone reads or read options or some bootlegs where Herbert has the option to hit the crosser coming across, or if he could take it himself. And he has a capability of doing that, right? Like, obviously this is a small sample size. That's why Garoppolo and Tannehill and Bridgewater above Herbert. Herbert ranking sixth, sixth on designed rushes it's not bad in terms of scrambles. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He ranks eighth ahead of Lamar Heineke, right? Like guys that you would expect to be like a little bit higher. He, he is a pretty efficient scrambler when it comes to that right now. I think Herbert, uh, the past two, the, the two weeks before the Bengals game, so the Broncos and the Steelers, I think he was looking to run a little bit more. Part of that could have been, you know, a good pass rush from the Steelers, even without TJ Watt. And with the Broncos, no Matt Filer. And so you have Senio Kilomete was inactive this week. You know, I'm sure Steven was happy about that. Uh, but yeah, like he was looking to scramble a little bit more. I don't mind that. 
Um, obviously, I'd rather take a scramble than him throwing like a hospital ball or a dangerous ball that could get picked. Um, and what, one other thing that I think he's done a really good job of, it, one other thing I think he's done a great job in this season has been limiting how detrimental his sacks can be. I think there are times, and don't get me wrong, there are times where he runs a play action, he's looking for the deep shot. And I wish I had a clip to show you. I just, you know, schoolwork's been hitting me hard this, this week. But um, he's looking for the deep shot, but the deep shot isn't there because, you know, they're taking it away. Like, teams are smart. Like, they're not just going to let Herbert throw a 50-yard bomb every time. And he's out, But he's outside the pocket, and, you know, you have the safety crashing or you have the outside linebacker crashing on him, and he's looking to plant and turn back the other way which doesn't make sense to me. Like, I feel like they're just throw it away. Like just take the zero yards because there, I think it's been twice now that he, he's tried to plant his feet, go the other way and he slipped and he's, it's been like an eight yard sack. But like I said, overall ranks in the top 10 in EPA in the least amount of EPA lost from sacks, which is amazing. That's something you always want from your quarterbacks. Um, it's something we want to see going forward. So let us talk about the Giants. Now, I, I really don't have much to say other than if we don't win this game, um, it, it is not going to be a fun episode to listen to next week. The Giants, the Giants might be one of the worst run teams in football right now. Like, you know, I, I, I don't hate any coach or GM, but it's just it's I just find it weird how Joe Judge runs his team. Uh, you know, he's not – when you compare Staley and Judge, I mean, they could not be two more polar opposite coaches. On one hand, you have the data-driven coach in Staley who gets overly aggressive, and he goes for it when the math says you shouldn't. And on the other hand, you have Joe Judge who doesn't go for it when the math says you should, and he doesn't go for it when the math says you shouldn't, and he just doesn't go for it in general. So I think it's pretty funny what this coaching matchup is going to be. Obviously, I think Joe Judge is still a pretty good X's and or pretty decent at least X's and O's coach. But the game management aspect of his of his um, you know head coaching tenure has not been good, and so I think that gives us a slight edge already. Like if we were two neutral teams with you know just different coaches, Staley gives us that edge more than Judge does. But one aspect I wanted to touch on, which is why I have uh, the kneel down by my guy Ryan Wiseman on Twitter, Ryan Wise. Ryan Wiseman, 12 on Twitter. Um, I think Patrick Graham, the DC for the, Gi the Giants, is actually a really good DC. And he, does, uh, he doesn't really have the personnel to run what he wants to run. Reminder, he comes from the Brian Flores uh, coaching tree in Miami, which comes from the Belichick tree. So it does seem like he runs a lot of that kind of stuff, but he's implemented his own twist to the way he runs defenses, right? Like in the Belichick tree, you see a lot of cover three and you see a lot of cover one, but uh, Graham likes to mix it up. He loves to play cover two more than the league average, loves to play quarters and two man more than the league average as well. So you're not going to see this one singular coverage from Graham game after game. He's going to mix it up. And that's, that's why I think this could potentially be a trap game for the offense. Like I said, if this, if this defense allows, I don't care if Danny Jones is starting. I like if this defense allows his offense to put up more than like 16 points, we're going to have some serious issues. We're going to have some serious issues. If Jake Fromm is starting, I don't want that offense to even cross midfield in the first half. I'll put it that way.
But like I said, this defense is pretty solid. You can, if you're watching on YouTube, you can pause it and you can see, uh, you know, the breakdown of how often they run each coverage. If we look at like how good they've been when running each coverage, uh, remember for EPA, if we're looking at defense, um, you want the EPA bars to be negative. So as you can see, he actually hasn't been that effective running cover one and cover two, but he's been very, very effective running cover three and four. And that's what scares me. I think like Patrick Graham, he's going to try and confuse Justin Herbert. Do not be surprised. I repeat, do not be surprised if Graham tries to use some of the similar concepts that Belichick used in the, in the Patriots game or Flores used in 2020 when the Dolphins played the Chargers in Miami. A lot of those you know, six, seven, eight man fronts on the defensive line alone, just bailing out into cover three or bailing out into quarters. And, you know, this is going to be a test for Joel Lombardi and Justin Herbert. I believe that this off, like this team will win this game, but it's to me, it's going to be how dominant will they be against a Giants team that just lost 20 to nine versus the Dolphins. Right. So, um, you know, that's, that's pretty much where the, the Giants are. Another thing I, I really wanted to touch on is, this third down defense has been awful, like awful. If we look at, you know, their defensive third down conversion rate allowed over expected. So it's pretty much saying, given the down and distance, given the time left in the game, the quarter, the, the Chargers win probability, how often are the Chargers allowing a third down more than the expected rate? And the Chargers have been allowing a third down 8% more than expected. That's awful, right? Like they haven't been, they haven't been letting third downs turn into touchdowns, which is why their second place third down a lot over expected is it turns into an eighth third down EPA per play allowed. But like I said, you know, getting off the field on third downs is huge. And we saw that a couple of times in the Bengals game where, you know, the defense made a play and they got off the field, gave the ball back to Justin Herbert, but that needs to continue. And it just, it hasn't been there for most of the season. But, you know, I'm confident in Staley that he can turn it around. I really hope Bosa and Jones will be able to come back. Uh, you know, when this video goes up, I don't know what their injury status is going to be. Uh, but, yeah, this defense looked much better against the Bengals, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, I guess I'll, I'll end the video with this, you know, kind of talking about the Bengals game. Uh, I think the defense played okay. Like, like when you talk about – how you want your defense to be constructed and how you want your defense to play. I don't think relying on takeaways is a stable way for defense to be good. What I mean by that is you look at like Miami, you know, the dolphins from last year. I mean, they'd have games where I think they had like a takeaway in every single regular season game. I mean, that's great and all, but the thing with turnovers are it tends to regress. It regresses back to the mean. And what that means is turnovers are not, a product of how well the defense is playing. It's more of a product of how bad the offense is playing, right? If you watched my video last week, I talked about how the two most volatile offenses in the NFL were number one, the Bengals, and number two, the Chargers. The Bengals had, what, two turnover, three turnover, two turnovers in the first, like 15, 16 minutes. The Chargers had two turnovers in the next 15, 16 minutes. And then Joe Mixon obviously fumbled the game away, and then Burrow had the pick in the end zone, right? So, um, you know, you got to you got to kind of understand that turnovers are fluky. So you don't want to be relying on your defensive EPA or your defensive points per game allowed be reliant on taking the ball away, because eventually those things will regress once you play better teams with better offensive lines or better quarterbacks. Right. 
you want to be a team that gets stops. Like that's a more stable way of your EPA not drastically getting worse or, you know, not, or, or at least not regressing, if that makes sense. So with that, um, I do think it was a great win by the Chargers. The takeaways against Burrow were needed. You know, sometimes luck is, luck is better than skill, as they say. Uh, but it, like I said, great win for the Chargers. Puts them right in the hunt. I want to see the Chargers win. I want to see them cover the 10.5 spread. If Danny Jones is playing, it's going to be like 7.5. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Chargers win. If they cover, playoff contenders. That's it, guys. Uh, thank you all for watching. With that, as always, bolt up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.